In this podcast, Pamela Barty, a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and developer of a $100 million real estate empire, will share her inspiring underdog comeback story. And along with those of her guests, she'll share how you too, as an underdog, can rise up and succeed against all odds. Here's your host, Pamela Barty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Underdog. Today, I have an outstanding guest here with me today, Michelle, who is a total, total rock star. And I'm so honored to have her here today. Michelle, what's going on? Oh man, I am so excited to be here. I'm so pumped because you are just a total rock star in so many realms. Thank you. You're a motivational speaker. You have your own podcast. You have your coaching. You've just got so much awesomeness going on. And like, I just can't wait to get into your story. So my opening question, which is the most loaded question one could possibly <laughs> ask you is what inspired you on the journey to where you are today? That is a very loaded question, man. Like <laughs> hindsight, I'm like, I was probably always meant to be doing what I'm doing, but you know, you take a couple detours to get here along the way, right? You know, what inspired me really is that I did a lot of things beforehand. Like I have a theater and music major out of undergrad. So I did that first stint. I got a graduate degree in nonprofit management in the arts. And then I jumped into corporate for 10 years. But the thing was, is by the time I kind of moved away from the corporate space, I didn't really recognize myself anymore. You know, I mean, when you think about like the person who came out with a theater degree versus like somebody who's running like high powered tech teams type situation, it's a little bit of a whiplash effect from one personality to the next. So what really inspired me to create my company, which is called on paper, it's called Create Honesty Inc., is because like, I kept hearing this kind of line from women in my life and men about like, I checked all the boxes that I was supposed to check. Why the hell am I not happy? I got the degree. I got the job. I got the kids, the wife, the husband, the pet, the freaking picket house, whatever picket fence house, you know, whatever that is, but I'm still fucking miserable. And, you know, and I could relate at that point. And that's kind of why I started my business because I wanted to be able to kind of steer my own ship for lack of a better phrase, when it came to that. I love that rock star. So now question for you, is that always yeah. it? What did you want to be when you grew up? President. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my, my parents are probably cringing. It was a toss up between like a performer and president, go figure, <laughs> given the similarities with that stuff. But I actually went into college wanting to go poli sci and be a lawyer slash politician when I went in, if you can believe that. Like, I'm not saying I'm ruling it out in the future, but my parents are still like, my dad in particular is like, gonna run for something? And I'm like, are you out of your mind? I am too blunt. I don't know if that's a good idea for anyone involved. So that was what I wanted to be when I was kind of younger. Artist, you know, singer or performer versus president. <laughs> I love that. How amazing. But it's like, it's interesting though, because- the performing space, it served you well now in your world, yeah. all that stuff. So what inspired you on your creative path to shift? Because you just said you were in poli sci and then went to theater. I was all over the map. I think, you know, when you ask 
I say kids now, but you know, when you ask a 17 or 18 year old to like set the trajectory of the rest of their life, by the way, the majority of them have no fucking clue what they're doing. Right. So when I went there, it was very much about what that persona of me looked like, according to other people. Mm. Right. Like do the responsible thing. Let's be a lawyer. And then I got in and I freaking hated it. Like I really disliked it, but in between, I also jumped, like, maybe I'll be an elementary school teacher. Maybe I'll do this trying to do like kind of the, you know, for lack of a better phrase, like responsible major, but really, you know, I just have always at the core been, you know, I'm a singer. That's not something that's going to go away. So, Mm -hmm. and you're right. It served me acting and singing and performing. Like I can walk on a stage of in front of thousands of people and not even be faced. I'll be nervous and there's fear because that never goes away, but I'm light years ahead of some people because of all that training and doing the podcast. It's kind of, (laughs) kind of puts me ahead of the game, which is nice. Walk me through that transition of going from like Polly's side to theater because, well, I know that there's a lot of people listening that like, you know, they have a hard time with change and transition especially when you're entering two opposite worlds. Yeah. That's kind of the story of my life. I've always been able to I'm always pretty equally strong on right brain and left brain. So even when I was in theater and doing all that stuff, I was constantly looking at the marketing. I was looking at the sales. I was looking at, you know, that stuff. So I was always kind of in conflict with myself, if that resonates at all. I really want to be creative, but I also want to make the money. Right. Mm -hmm. And I understand how the two of those can kind of work in tandem, but from a change perspective, I mean, I wish I could tell you like the reasons and like the concrete stuff, but it was college. So therefore it's blurry (laughs) to be blunt. I had pretty severe anxiety too in college. And, you know, that's when typically like, you know, if you're a woman and I'm not a doctor, so don't quote me on this, but if you're a woman right around like 18, 19, 20, if you do have any mental health stuff, it's rearing its head. So, and it, and it did for me too during that. So it's kind of blurry between that and well, college. So it's partying and whatever else was in there. I went so far to my right brain and I wanted to be creative, but then I came out, did all the auditioning, had the agent did all that stuff. But then I went to get a master's in the business of the arts. So it's like, again, like that push and pull between the two things. Gotcha. Thank you so much for sharing that. Cause I know, I mean, there's millions of people that suffer through anxiety, depression, like all these different, how'd you break through that and getting into theater and the arts. Cause that seems like almost counterintuitive. Yeah, it does. It does. But it's, it's a good outlet. You know why? Because you're not yourself. You're not yourself when you're on stage, right? Like you get to step into whatever character you want. I mean, you see a lot of, you know, theater kids, right? They're the ones who are kind of maybe dealing with the crap. Not that everyone isn't, but you know, they, they have challenges and they, I put it into my, my art. Like that's what, that makes good art is being, being kind of fucked up sometimes makes really good art. (laughs) I mean, it's the way that you explained it was that it's an outlet for you because I'm thinking about somebody with anxiety and like, then the thought of them being on a stage, how'd you break through that? Right. Wow. It's an outlet. Exactly what you said. Like I could, you know, if I can step into a character, that character doesn't have anxiety. Michelle might, but that character doesn't. And also there's something to be said about, you know, singing was my coping mechanism growing up. You know, I grew up in kind of a tumultuous household and I was always singing because I wasn't screaming. So I was singing. Right. So it was kind of a, that was an outlet too, that kind of followed me through. And, you know, I still, it still serves me today, which is fantastic. Right. So those outlets are super, super important. Yes, they are. Singing. When did you start singing? Oh God. Out of the womb. I don't even know. 
probably like kindergarten, first, second grade. And it was funny because I remember auditioning for a show, my junior, no, junior high and junior high. And they were like, no, you can't sing. And then like, I went on to get a degree in it. I was like, yeah, you were wrong by the way. And it was also, that's kind of my personality. If you tell me I can't do something, I'm probably going to do it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Growing up. So you had mentioned you had grown up in kind of like a questionable household. And, and I mean, I don't know what that structure was like, but like, I know that there's a lot of people who, you know, growing up there in different situations in your youth, what were some of your biggest inspirations? And then some of your biggest like aha moments. I'm kind of a rarity in the fact that I started reading kind of personal development stuff early on. So probably in like my teenage years, you know, I was reading like Louise Hay type stuff, affirmation type stuff. I was very involved. I was raised Catholic. I was involved a lot with our church and different things. And I think the people I was hanging around with as well were very driven, very kind of good thinkers, leaders, things like that. So I was fortunate with that. But Something inside of me kind of always knew that I was going to come up and out of it, right? Like I've always, as long as I can remember, been the type of person that is recognized that things happen for a reason, you know, and that you're being taught things as you go through things, even if they're super fucking hard. So, which again is another thing that serves me well today. And I can trace it back to then because sometimes when you're young and the shit's just swirling around you, you don't know which way is up, which way is down. And you can, you have a choice and that's as an adult too, you can make a choice to kind of move through it, or you can make a choice to live there. And I didn't want to, so I just chose not to. <laughs> That's amazing that you were looking at self-development books basically at that age, because it's like, usually doesn't hit a lot of people until a little bit later in life. Right. Yeah. I mean, I read when people ask me like, what's your, what are your favorite books? I wouldn't have probably made it through my twenties. I feel like from a mental health perspective in a, in a, in a good way, if it wasn't for some pretty great books, like Jan Van Zant is a writer who people kind of now know from TV and stuff, but I was reading her, Christina Hassler, the 20 something female. I was reading a lot of stuff to kind of keep me, keep my head in the game and keep it in a good place. Right. How amazing. And then you mentioned that you went into your master of for business of the arts, which is so funny. Yeah, yeah I know. So here I go. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I went to BU. They have what's called an arts administration program for masters. And, you know, you go in and I look at it as it's literally an MBA for running nonprofits. Like, you know, you learn a lot of the same things. Like I understand you learned everything from the finances of how to building an organization to, you know, our capstone project is you're going into a, a full flown organization and consulting for it, right? You're ripping them apart. You're going through their finances, their giving, their marketing strategy, their everything. That master's really served me well, you know, jumping into the corporate life as well as, you know, for what I do now, because I can go in with a consultant's mentality because of a lot of the stuff that I learned there. And I got a really well-rounded education on all of the moving pieces of running a business. Mm-hmm. So then that's how that kind of tagged in. Yep. Okay. So walk me through the transition of, of getting that. And I'm going to call it an MBA because it basically, yeah. you know, it was a really cool time, but also a crazy, crazy time in my life. I mean, I was living in Boston at BU, getting the degree. And also I was working on like a musical at the time that I was trying to put up in Boston that looking back, I was like, what the fuck were I, was I doing? Um, <laughs> I was interning for like Shakespeare on the Common in Boston and the Huntington Theater Company and partying because I, I'm in my twenties. You know, it was, it was just a really crazy time. And then in addition to that, 
you know, my dad had some challenges, alcoholism and mental illness. And I was juggling that too, alongside my family. So it was just insane, but I I'm very blessed with it because I met my husband during that period of time too. So who I'm a big fan of, I love him, obviously he kind of became like that life raft for me, like in that very anchoring force during that time. Cause I was all over the place and I was running a million miles an hour. And when I started in with him, he actually lives West of Boston. He just bought in Hudson mass, which at the time, I mean, I was used to Boston life, like you know, lots of stuff to do all the time, culture everywhere. And I moved out to Hudson with him at the tail end of my grad degree. And I was like, where the hell am I? Like sidewalks rolling up at 9 PM or earlier because it was before right now, Hudson has a pretty, pretty awesome downtown and stuff to do. But so prior to that, I was like, what is happening? But, you know, he's really a grounding force for me. He's an engineer, very kind of logical minded, whereas I'm the dreamer and, and stuff like that on a lot of levels. So that's kind of that chapter of my life <laughs> from a grad school perspective. That's amazing. And then now transitioning into, as you mentioned that you were in the corporate world for a while. Yes. Right? Yeah. What was that experience like? And what were you working on at that time? Yeah. So, I mean, I had started off, you know, I got a job in like the nonprofit world was a managing director for an arts organization here out in Hudson, Mass, and they lost the funding. So I lost the job, right? That's kind of how that works sometimes in the nonprofit world, which was fine because it was meant to be. And I decided at that point, I was like, you know what? I'm like, I need to make more money. I would like a house. I would like, you know, some, some stuff in my life. So I jumped over to a company called eDialogue at the time. They were called that. And it was primarily email marketing for enterprise level clients. So enterprise level like NFL or I don't know, supermarket chains, like really big hefty clients. So I started in there and I kind of worked my way up on that. You know, I had, here I am with this master's level education and I'm starting from somewhat at the bottom again, because the nonprofit world sometimes doesn't translate over. People don't think they're the same thing, but it's transferable skills across the board. And I worked my way up there and then we were bought and sold quite a few times. I remember eDialogue was bought by GSI that was then bought by eBay. So I ended up towards the tail end of my almost decade there running the PayPal Europe email marketing operations side of things. So yeah. I was the person who fixed stuff. I'm a fixer, right? Again, that consulting mentality that comes up, comes through, you know, I was in charge of essentially migrating business out of Europe over to the United States, building up a team, making sure the operations of stuff went well. And then our business unit, we were bought and sold again, right? So, and at that point, a lot of our staff was outsourced and I was, I was outsourced. So I was laid off and I just had my second kid too. So, which that started a whole new chapter, my kids in the mix, because they're medically complicated kids. Like, so it was, I was running a high, a high stress team while juggling appointments at children's hospital. And then the second one came and he was even more complicated. <laughs> so, you know, that's the next chapter of that. And I had a choice when I was laid off. I, was, I could could have stepped back into the six-figure position and done something similar, but I didn't recognize myself. And also I didn't know at the time, but I couldn't have held a job with what I was juggling with the kids. It wouldn't have worked because it's very 24-7 mentality. It's tech, right? It doesn't sleep. So I, you know, went out on my own and that's kind of what I've been doing ever since. I love it. I love it. There's so many people who are stuck in the analysis paralysis and yes. the handcuffs, right? What do you do when you're in that space? Like, how are you just like, you know what? 
Bye. Um, you know, I think I, I personally got to the place and I remember saying to my husband, I would rather be broke than this broken. I was miserable. I was a miserable person to be around, you know, and I think also it, it comes down to kind of defining what you think success is, what you want your life to look like. Cause we don't, we forget that we have that ability. And when I walked away, one of the first things I did was I sat down and by all means, I understand this is a little bit of a luxury that not everybody can do it too. But I sat down and I kind of sketched out what I wanted my, my life to look like. And I hadn't done that in, I don't know how many years, right? Cause we just kind of get locked in, like you said, golden handcuffs, but putting the emphasis more on kind of like the internal parts of you that want to, to be happy and want your life to look a certain way rather than letting the external dictate it. I love what you said there though, that you'd rather be broke than broken. Yeah. That was pretty broken. Because you really can lose yourself. You're just so caught up in routine, right? And I think this is why COVID shook the world a lot. Yes. Right? For the very first time that you were forced to do something, you couldn't go to work like yeah. you It was like you were forced to change and adapt. Where it's like, yeah. for entrepreneurs, bring it on. We were like, it's a Tuesday. <laughs> like, whatever. But everybody else, it was like, it was like shake and that rumble. And it was almost like an earthquake, I like to call it, right? But like in, in the world. And it's like, yeah. very first time people are sitting there and reflecting like, oh, shit. Do I like my life? Is this what I was doing before? Like yeah. for the first time, you're forced to pull yourself out. Right. Because you can't go to work, right? And really self-reflect. And like now I'm reading articles left and right of how companies are introducing the entry back into the workplace of yeah. like flex. Like I, I read an article, PWC was like, yeah, you can start work whenever you want and end whenever you want. We're going to make it flex. You can basically work from home two or three days a week and just come in the rest of the days. And that's PWC. Like yeah. what? Yeah. I mean, because you have to realize like, and I, I give a lot of talks on this is the fact that it's not work-life balance doesn't exist, right? It's work-life integration. You have to be looking at things holistically. And also, you know, employers need to be looking at their employees as human beings, not human doings, right? Like I hate that freaking concept where you're just a number. And I think I understand where it comes from, right? You're running a huge company, right? You're at the top of pyramid or whatever it is, but you know, you have to remember that these are people you're dealing with people that just went through a shit ton of crisis. And I like the fact that you just said the pandemic shook everything. I think it was like Ivan Eisner had a BNI or whoever said like, it's like the great pause, right? Because if you keep running, which we all have been doing and all have been guilty of, you're just going to keep running faster to, so that you don't have to confront the other crap, right? You don't have to confront how unhappy you are. You don't have to look and make a decision. You just keep kind of groundhog day in it every day. When you're forced to a halt, that wrecked some people because sometimes the scariest place to be is in your head. And when you don't have a million activities to fill your day, yikes, like that can be some serious time for reflection. And you're right. People are reassessing. I have like a woman reach out to me at least once a day being like, I want to completely wipe the slate clean and change my life. Like that's a huge thing that you're hearing from a lot of people right now. And yeah, cause you see it in the coaching space and like, that's incredible. So you started off as a coach. Yeah. And then you got into naturally the public speaking. How'd you get into that? I mean, it's just kind of a good transition for me anyway, just because I've done it from a performing standpoint, but 
in the past, I've run workshops. I've done a lot of things. And at the beginning of my company, I didn't know what I wanted it to look like. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I did everything from, I sold out documentary screenings with talkbacks. I did public art projects based on gratitude. Like, I mean, I went all over the, right all over the gamut. And, you know, the people would be like, where's your business plan? Where's your marketing plan? And I was like, no, not, not doing any of that. Like I get it. And as a business coach, I understand the value of that. But for me, it was more of undoing the stuff that had been kind of done so I could hear myself think. And then, you know, the speaking stuff kind of came naturally out of that. And I've always liked speaking. I've always liked being on a stage and I like the impact that it makes as well. Because oftentimes when you're a speaker and on the stuff that I speak about, because I, t- I just tell my stories, right? And I have some pretty, some doozies of stories. But the thing that's always struck me as really good about it is my underlying mission behind everything is that people feel a little less alone through all this bullshit. And I can guarantee there's always somebody in the room who will come up to me and say, thank you for speaking what I was thinking. I just thought it was me. Like, cause nobody talks about it or nobody admits that shit's hard or nobody, you know, and I'm, like we talked about at the beginning of this, like I'm pretty open book. Like I've been through a lot of shit and I'm perfectly, perfectly fine speaking to it as long as I've processed it myself. So it kind of gives people permission to say like, this shit's hard, (laughs) you know, with what they're going through too. Right. And that's what I love. I mean, that's the whole reason I created this podcast was so that people hear these stories and know like, Hey, this person went through this. So, so no, I'm not alone. Right. No, you're not so powerful and so impactful. And like our listeners, like they're always looking for stories because whether they relate to them personally or they know somebody who is right. And like, so with that being said, like, if you'd be open to sharing like a couple of your stories, like the ones that you usually sort of talk about or or one in particular that always hits home, I'd love to hear that. And I'm sure the listeners will too. Like I said, tumultuous upbringing. So a lot of alcoholism, a lot of stuff. Like my mom is like one of the strongest people I've ever met and God love her. And I don't know how she's still standing and functioning, Um, but as a human being, like she's a good role model for me. So when my kids came around, when I give my talks on resilience, I usually open it up with talk about my oldest son and the fact that when he was around one and a half, and again, I was still in corporate during the time. So he kind of walked over to me after eating his breakfast or whatever and said, mama up. And if you're a parent, like that's just what kids say when they want to be picked up. But when I picked him up on that day, he seized in my arms. So it's like, he knew something was coming. (laughs) I, I like to believe like he could tell. And like that started us on, I don't even know, a marathon. There's a quote by Sheryl Sandberg that refers to resilience as, you know, a muscle that you build. And I like to joke like that started leg one of our marathon because he didn't just have a seizure. He had swallowing issues where he was aspirating liquids into his lungs. We didn't know it. He had GI issues. He had, you know, down the line, he had, you know, ADHD and he's gifted and like, crazy shit. So I had to deal with that and juggle that while juggling a team and, you know, the expectations of a lot of people. So when the second one came out, oftentimes when I'm interviewed, I say like, he came out and he was like, yeah, hold, you thought that one was bad. Like, hold my beer. (laughs) Like, I felt like I'm going to be worse. So, and God love him. You know, he came out with a litany of heart issues He came out with, again, swallowing issues where he would turn blue, a compromised immune system, and the list goes on from there. So I had to kind of make a decision. My husband and I, I remember us, we always were consciously speaking about how we wanted to go through those situations, right? Because we could have easily let all that shit just drown us. And it did at times. I mean, two kids 
all of their specialists. And I was building a business because I cut our income in half when I left. Right. And he was working full time. So we had the decision to make. And I mean, this goes for anybody listening who's kind of going through the shit. Like you have a decision to make in that moment. You're going to let it define you or are you going to just look at it as this is a chapter, which is kind of how we chose to look at it as well as being very purposeful and intentional about seeking out the joy when we were walking through it, right? Because you forget about that, especially as adults, we forget that like fun is a thing right? We don't just have to adult all the time. So my husband and I made a really conscious decision. And I remember it was his idea. So kudos to him to be like, no, like we are going to seek it out. If we have to sit in a hospital, we're going to seek out the fun in that, you know, and luckily kids hospitals, like children's and stuff are really good at stuff like that, but you do have a choice. And that's kind of, you know, so that's one of one of many of my kind of stories in a nutshell of what, of what I've been through. So when, when the pandemic hit, honestly, our family was kind of like, eh, Another thing, because we'd been running a marathon for so long that we were kind of like, oh, here we go again, another bump. But it's a speed bump, not a barricade. I love that. It's a speed bump, not a barricade. Not, what I adore so much about what you just shared, and thank you so much for sharing that, yeah. is you purposely sought out the joy and you yes. made it the top chapter and not your whole life, which I think is so beautiful. Because oftentimes it's like when you're faced with situations, right? You just feel like it's consuming your world and you don't know what to do and all these things. I just love that you were intentional about seeking out the joy because it's so hard to find that, to find the positive when you're going through something that's life altering. Maybe it was easier because we had kids too, right? I couldn't be like, this was horrible. Like, when my kids were dealing with it. Right. But even as just adults, I mean, I suffer for, I deal with panic attacks. Like I deal with anxiety. I still deal with mental health stuff myself. So one of the main points of advice I always give to people is like, you need the support and it doesn't have to be like 20 people. You need quality over quantity and you need to kind of process your shit. Like, that's what I always say to people. You're going through some shit, like make sure you're processing it because if you're not it's going to come back. Mine manifests in autoimmune diseases and some shit like that. Mm. Other people might get migraines. Some people's necks might hurt. Like it's going to find you. And I'm not saying that to be woo woo. I'm saying that because the body remembers shit and the body holds stress. So if you don't find a way to release it through joy, through therapy, through whatever, like you're just going to be walking around with a really like heavy presence. Right. And like you mentioned, like you had your outlets sort of from day one and these coping mechanisms that Helped you guys along through. I love everything that you just mentioned. Thank you so much for that. You're, you're welcome. Yeah. Rock star, total rock star. And I love that you're so human and vulnerable, right? It's taken me so long to understand that vulnerability is a strength and not a weakness. Absolutely. And I think that's the thing is where when we are going through really hard times or, you know, or we're in this shame spot, right? Like, don't let anybody know that we're not perfect. Don't. And I mean, I'm guilty of that too. All of us are on some level, like don't let anyone see behind the curtain. But what, what helped me when I was starting my business is I was blogging a lot and I would get the feedback and I'd be like, Oh, look, a human experience. Like it's not just the happy emotions guys. Like it's the spectrum. And I had a girl on a speaking engagement the other day who was, you know, that was during the Q and a period. And she was talking about like how she thought something was wrong with her. She's sad all the time. And, and I looked, I just said, I'm like, yeah, maybe there is like see your therapist, whatever, but maybe you're just fucking sad because this is hard. Like maybe you're just mad. Like those other emotions aren't just as valid as like happiness and joy. And you also can't just jump from living in shame and hating your life directly to like ecstatically living in joy. Like it's kind of a stepladder too, when you think about it. 
Right. And all of our journeys are so different and they hit us at different times because we have different experiences. So you compare yourself to another person. That's why I always tell people, I'm like, you don't know what that person has been through to get to where they are, you know? Yeah. And I mean, you know, this is a leader too. People make a lot of assumptions too. They're like, oh, you must have a perfect life (laughs) because Instagram shows it that way. (laughs) And I'm like, for fuck's sake, people, haven't we all realized that like social media is the final performance? You don't see the fucking dress rehearsals. Like, can't we all wrap our heads around that? Like, and you know that probably from, from leading, right? You obviously don't have any issues. <laughs> like you don't have it. And I'm like, meanwhile, I'm like, yeah, I just had a 16 hour day yesterday where I was carrying 62 by fours because my guys needed it for this morning. And now my entire back hurts. Like, you know, like, exactly. you know, everyone has their struggles. Everyone has their pain, all of that. I just love your story so, so much, you know, yes. in your coaching world. Like I know that it, it definitely translates. And I have this sense that you not only help people on a business level, but you also help them on kind of like the all around sort of into yeah. And like, you know, what have been some of your favorite moments as a coach, like watching the transformations? Like what's your favorite story? Yeah. My favorite story is, I mean, just my favorite moment in coaching. Cause you're exactly right. When people come to me and they're fix my pipeline, like fix my this. And I'm like, okay, we can definitely look at that. I'm happy to do operational excellence and I'm happy to look at your structures and I'm happy to look at your bottom line and all that good stuff. I'm like, but let's just acknowledge the elephant in the room and it could be your limiting beliefs that are in the way as well. So like I can speak to a PL as well as I can speak to how your mind's working with that money. But my favorite kind of moments in coaching is when you see them get it and it could be no matter what it is, right? Like you see the light bulb click and that is always just absolutely amazing to me. Again, as a coach, I'm just the catalyst, right? Like coaching, people have a misconception sometimes, but coaching is like bringing the horse to water. You can't be like, drink it. like pushing their head in it. I can't make them do anything. So, you know, I provide the support to do it. And then in consulting, it's you bring them to water and then you tell them how to drink, but you can't make people do anything. So when you see people fully step into their power, especially, you know, I have male and female clients, but shout out to my ladies. When I see them step fully into their power, there is nothing like that. It's a beautiful Thing to bear witness to. I love that. And that's what I'm saying. Like as a coach, like you would just give yeah. them all around, which is so amazing. When you watch somebody step into their power, it's like, oh, that person will never be stopped. Right. Once they realize, like, oh crap, yeah. I got this. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. You can't unsee it all of a sudden when you're like, oh shit, I can, you know, hit six figures. Oh shit. Like, yeah. Then you can speak in facts. The next time you say, I don't know if I can do this, you can say, well, didn't you do it before? do it again, you know? And it's, so it's really cool to teach, to teach both kind of the, the tactical and the emotional stuff. I absolutely love that. And now what I'm hearing in COVID is like so many people, like you were mentioning sort of at the beginning of the interview that a lot of people are rethinking everything. Hey, I want a blank slate. So I'm sure like now you're busier sort of than ever. I'm getting there. And I think, you know, I've had to kind of put some boundaries on me too, to make sure that I'm kind of dealing with it as well. Cause like I said, I have autoimmune stuff, right? So kids at home plus running a business plus getting my clients through pandemic living, I have actually kind of pulled myself back a little. Cause when I launched my podcast in July, my world's kind of blew up right in a good way. I'm not complaining, but it got really hectic really quick. So I'm at the point right now where I'm taking on individual clients, which is fantastic but I'm being very mindful of myself and my own boundaries too, which is nice. That's such a key thing for entrepreneurs. The setting those boundaries and learning when to say no is like the hardest thing 
And I still struggle with it. It's so hard. It is. it is, especially when, because you're a business owner and you want to do well and you want to succeed and you want to, you know, see people happy and stuff. But my health has taken some pretty nasty hits over, over the last like year or so. And I now know, like, I look at self-care and stuff like that as a business strategy. If I'm not functioning, no one's functioning. <laughs> like I'm going to give some pretty shitty business advice if I can't function. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> to like a wellness coach. And she was like, Pam, you know how different types of cars have different types of gas, right? (laughs) She's like, what does a Ferrari, does a Ferrari take regular gas or do they take premium? (laughs) And know what type of gas you take and also make sure your tank is full because does a Ferrari operate without any gas? And I was like, no. My friend. And so, wow. And now like, what are you up to these days? I mean, I'm up to a lot. Like I said, I got a, I have a lot of individual clients across a lot of different places. Like I have everything from, I've coached people from breweries and, you know, individual solopreneurs to company owners. I've got a lot of stuff going on with that. And I'm just trying to kind of reprogram myself a little bit. I just put untouchable day and untouchable day in my schedule, which I don't know if you practice anything like that, but some people I say untouchable hours if you can't do it, but I've stopped taking meetings every Wednesday. So my schedule is actually kind of clear so I can breathe because oftentimes, especially if you're a solopreneur, you can't be expected to think creatively and come up with new things and stuff if you're jam-packed. So I've kind of, my focus right now is just putting a little bit of space on my calendar and being able to breathe so I can look and see what kind of the next chapter looks like. Wow. That's amazing. That's an awesome way of setting sort of the boundary. Which yeah. sort of leads me to my next question, like yeah. the magical Michelle. What yeah. would your older self tell your younger self based on what you know now? I think she would probably tell her, you mean like me at like 60 telling me now? Like me in my 20s, what I would tell her. Yeah. <laughs> to you, whatever you feel is most- You know, I, I would like to think the kind of older version of myself would confirm what I'm kind of learning now, which is that staying in a sense of flow and not trying to force shit to happen, you know, made us very successful. Like that's the minute I try to force something, I don't know about you, but the minute I try to like force client stuff in or force or like, like, you know, try to architect my pipeline or whatever, shit goes off the rails. The minute I like take a step back and I'm like, let's just go with the flow. Universe will provide whatever thing I need to tell myself, it all works out. So I'm hoping the older version, you know, will confirm that that's right (laughs) for me. I love that, Michelle. I love that. Oh man. Like you're such a total force and a rock star and your is amazing. And the work that you do is amazing. Your podcast and like all these amazing things. Now everyone has got to know where to find your awesomeness. Yeah, of course. Thank you. And thank you for all the nice words. I'm loving it. Thank you so much. So you can find me at createhonesty.com. And I, my handles on Instagram, Clubhouse, and Facebook is also Create Honesty. And then LinkedIn, I'm under my name. So, and then The Resilient Entrepreneur is the name of my podcast, if you want to check that out too. Awesome. You're so amazing, Michelle. Such an honor to have you here today. Thank you so, so much. The only dream that I've been chasing is my own. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to win a private VIP day with Pamela herself in Boston, Massachusetts. Be sure to go to theunderdogshow.com and pick up a copy 
of Pamela's free gift. And join us on the next episode.